Hello everyone and welcome back to When by Victoria Laurie. This is the official first chapter. October 19th, 2014. From my bedroom window I saw the Mercedes pull up next to our house and realized we were about to have company. Not many Mercedes found their way to our side of town. Maddie, Ma called from downstairs. I think we have a client. I closed my Algebra 2 textbook with a sigh and lay back on the bed where I'd been plotting through equations for the past hour. Mr. Chavez, August 9th, 2039, had given us a ton of homework, and ironically, I really struggle with math. Maddie, Ma called again. Honey, are you up there? Coming! I rolled off the bed and took a minute to pull my hair back and shrug out of my sweatshirt, trading it for a sweater. When I got to the landing, Ma was at the bottom of the stairs waiting on me. She's in the back, she said after I had made my way down. Smoothing her hand over my ponytail, she added, she seems like a nice lady. She said she only needs one date, so I think this one will be easy. Also, I'm keeping your dinner warm in the oven. I could smell the pizza from the kitchen. I am so sick of pizza, I could scream. Ma rarely cooks anymore, so all we ever seem to have are hot pockets, microwave pizza, chicken nuggets, or something else right out of the box. I have to go to the store for some milk, Ma said as I made my way through the back of the house. But I'll wait until you're through. Ma never left me alone in the house with a client, which was good, but I knew she was itching to go to the store. Milk was Ma's code for vodka. Ma's drinking had stopped burning a hole in my stomach a couple of years ago when I realized I was powerless to stop her. Deep down, it still really bothered me, but I tried not to let it show. When I walked into the back room, the first thing I noticed about the client was that she was really pretty, regal even, dressed in chocolate suede slacks and a cream silk blouse. A thick, luxurious fur coat was draped over the back of her hair. I knew right away that she was from Parkwick. They've got big bucks in Parkwick. I moved to the chair opposite her and sat down. Hello, Maddie, she said with a warm smile. Hi, I replied, pulling at my sweater. Felt a little self-conscious in her elegant presence. How are you this evening? I blinked. No one ever bothered to ask how I am. Uh, fine. The lady smiled again. I'm Patricia Tybalt, she told me, offering her hand. I shook it, surprised by her easy, relaxed manner. I'm so sorry to call you during your dinner hour, Miss Tybalt continued, but it was the only time I could get away from the hospital, and I barely managed to work up the courage to come see you tonight. I focused on her for a second. July 21st, 2068. That made me relax. If she asked about herself, she'd probably like the answer. It's okay, I told her, referring to the dinner hour. We're only having pizza again. Mrs. Tybalt sat back and beamed her pretty smile at me. I used to love pizza when I was your age. You must be 15 or 16, right? 16, I told her. She continued to study me curiously. I noticed she had a whopper of a diamond on her left ring finger. I wondered if it was heavy. You're still so young to have such a gift and be able to share it with people. I smirked. Yeah, I'm a regular Santa Claus. Mrs. Tybalt's eyebrows shot up and I opened my mouth to apologize. It'd come out a little snarky. But she laughed and winked at me. It was like we'd just shared a secret. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, she said next. Your mother tells me that you need a picture to look at? I nodded and she took out her wallet. It was tan leather and looked soft as butter. Mrs. Tybalt opened it and flipped to a row of pictures. She had three kids. After a slight hesitation, she tapped the top picture and said, This is my Cece. Please tell me how long she has. I squinted at the photo. The little girl in the picture was maybe five or six, and she was bald. 
Her face was all puffy, but she wore a band with a little pink bow on her head, and she had the cutest smile. The numbers floated up from right below her headband. June 17th, 2089, I said. For a moment, Mrs. Tybalt didn't move or speak, but her eyes filled with tears. I was used to people getting emotional. I usually ignored it, but I liked this lady, and I could feel a small lump forming in my own throat. I moved a box of Kleenex toward her that Ma had set on the table. She took a tissue and dabbed at her eyes. My baby will really live that long? She asked me in a choked whisper. I nodded. Yes, ma'am. Her death day isn't until June 17th, 2089. Mrs. Tybalt swallowed hard and wiped demurely at her cheeks. Thank you, Maddie, she said. You've helped me more than you could possibly know. Cece has leukemia and she's not doing so well right now. Her doctor wants her to participate in this experimental drug trial, but the side effects are awful, and I don't want my little girl to go through that if there's no hope. Mrs. Tybalt paused to stare down at the photo, smoothing her finger over the image of her daughter. It was a moment before she could speak again. As a parent, you never want your children to suffer, even though you can't bear the thought of life without them. If there wasn't a chance my baby would survive longer than the next six months, I was going to say no to the drug trial. You've given me hope, and I can't thank you enough. I smiled at her, but suddenly felt shy, and I dropped my eyes to the table. My gaze landed on the billfold just as Mrs. Tybalt was closing it up, and that's when I saw something that made my breath catch. I reached out to put a hand on her arm. Wait, I said, squinting at the pictures. There were two other kids there. One was a boy a bit older than me, maybe 18 or 19, with black hair, bright green eyes, and really good looking. The other was a kid a little younger than me, maybe 13 or 14, with lighter hair but the same eyes and the same beautiful face. The older kid's numbers were similar to his sister. November 19th, 2075, but the middle son was a completely different story. Is he sick too? I asked, pointing to his picture. Mrs. Tybalt looked quizzically at me and swiveled the billfold around. Tevin? she asked. No, honey, he's perfectly well. My heart started to pound. I'd never seen numbers that soon on someone so young and healthy before. For a minute, I didn't know what to do. She hadn't asked about her youngest son, but how could I not tell her when the kid's death date was so close? I decided to tell her. Maybe this time it would change things. Pointing to the picture again, I said, Mrs. Tybalt, his death day isn't like your other kids. It's much sooner. Mrs. Tybalt's eyes widened, but she kept her tone level. Oh, how much sooner? It's next week. She gasped. Then she shook her head. No, she said to me. No, that's not possible. Tevin is fine. He's perfectly healthy. I stared at the picture to make sure. Biting my lip, I looked up at her again. I'm not wrong. She paled and leaned in. How? And there it was, that question I can't answer. I shook my head, feeling the weight of my dad's death settle onto my shoulders. At the same time, Mrs. Tybalt's eyes narrowed. I glanced again at Tevin's picture. His numbers remained stubbornly fixed. I knew I had to try to convince her. I don't know how. An accident, maybe? I'm not sure, but something bad is going to happen to him, and if you don't do something, he'll die next week. It was my uncertainty and the vagueness of my answer that she keyed in on. She misread me for a liar. I saw it in her expression as she began to shake her head, and her gaze fell away from me as she closed up her wallet. Desperate to have her believe me, I said, I can tell you the date. Stop! she commanded, cutting me off. With her mouth pressed into a thin line, she stood, picked up her designer purse, and 
pushed her billfold into it. You and your mom must think you're pretty clever, she said, staring at me like she expected a full confession. When I didn't say anything, she added, Oh, I knew this was a hoax. I felt my stomach burn. It's no hoax. Really? Weren't you about to tell me that my son has come under some sort of deadly curse and for an additional fee you'd be happy to remove it? I stared at her. She glared back at me with contempt. Then I watched her eyes drift up to a spot above my right shoulder. Maud put a sign there with big, bold letters. Absolutely no refunds. Mrs. Tybalt made a dismissive puffing sound. <sighs> Enjoy your pizza, Maddie. Then she yanked her coat off the chair, causing it to fall over. She didn't pick it up. Instead, she stalked out of the room without a backward glance. I sat there for a good ten minutes staring at the tabletop. It felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. Finally, Ma poked her head in. Your dinner's on the table. Then she looked at the overturned chair. She didn't take it so well, huh? I shook my head. Oh, sweetie, Ma said, coming over to squeeze my shoulder. You have to remember that you're just the messenger. You're not responsible for the date or the way your clients take the news. And how that woman reacted in here is only her first reaction. Give her some time to get over her shock, and she'll come to terms with it. I swallowed hard. I didn't want to tell Ma what happened, because it might lead to an argument. So I simply muttered in, I know Ma, and followed her out of the room to dinner. But I did little more than pick at my pizza. After dinner, I headed out to meet Stubby, my best friend. Stubby's real name is Arnold Schroeder, August 16th, 2094. But he's gone by the nickname he was given by some bullies on the playground in elementary school for as long as I can remember. It's not flattering, but he says it's better than Arnold. Stubbs and I have been hanging out together ever since third grade, when, after Miss Gilbert died, none of the other kids wanted anything to do with me. Back then, Stubby was a chubby little eight-year-old with bright white blonde hair and a permanent goofy smile. He wore a red cape to school and told everybody that he wanted to grow up to be Superman. He never lost the chubbiness, but the cape is long retired. Socially, he's super awkward, but inside that pudgy chest beats the heart of a superhero for sure. He texted earlier to meet him at the diner midway between our two houses. Stubbs and I live about a half mile apart in a suburb filled with majestic poplar, maple, and oak trees. They line the streets so that some days you can barely see the sun. As I rode my bike to the diner, the wind picked up, sending the leaves above me clapping. It sounded like riding under a canopy of applause. Orange, yellow, and red leaves rained onto my hair and shoulders as I pedaled. They coated the street and caught in my spokes where they clapped some more. The diner where Stubby and I meet isn't big, not much more than a couple of booths and a short counter, but it's cheap and we like to hang out there on Sunday nights because Rita, March 20th, 2022, the older waitress who works that shift doesn't glare at us when we take up a back booth and don't tip her more than a buck fifty for a couple of Cokes and chocolate cream pies. As I entered the diner, I noticed Kathy Hutchinson, January 19th, 2082. She's a sophomore who moved in across the street from me the year before. She was there with her boyfriend, Mike Mendez, August 24th, 2078, who's a junior. They were making out pretty hot and heavy in a booth diagonal from where Stubbs was sitting. He looked uncomfortable, and I could tell he was trying to avert his eyes while Mike groped Kathy. Stubbs is a sweetie, raised by a single mom, and he's sort of old-fashioned about how to treat a girl. I nodded to him and rolled my eyes as I passed Mike and Kathy. He hid a smile with his hand. Hey, he said when I approached. I already ordered for us. I sat down and glanced over my shoulder at the lovebirds. I turned back to Stubbs and shook my head. How long have they been there? 
Long enough to annoy Rita, Stubbs said, motioning with his chin to the older woman across the diner, currently taking another customer's order. I could only imagine the hard time Mike and Kathy had given the waitress. Mike's got a mean streak in him, and Kathy's not much better. I glanced behind me again, and this time I saw that Kathy had pushed Mike off her and was scowling in our direction. Kathy's not my biggest fan. In the summer of 2013, she, Stubby, and I had hung out together after she first moved in across the street from me, but the minute school started and she found out from the other kids what I could do, she turned on me quick. In the span of an afternoon, she went from being my sweet friend to a backstabbing bitch, and I could never figure out what I'd done personally to her to get her to hate me so much. I turned away from her back to Stubbs, and as I did so, I overheard Kathy sing, Ding dong, the witch is dead. Kathy likes to tell everybody I'm a witch. I've overheard her say that my mom and I are part of a coven, and that we cast spells on the people who come to see me. Stubby once confessed that he'd heard Kathy tell all the people at her lunch table that she'd seen a guy come out of my house bleeding from the ears. It was ridiculous. Ding dong, the witch is dead, Kathy sang again, and she and Mike both laughed. I bristled, but Stubby gave me a subtle shake of his head. They're leaving, he whispered. I shifted my gaze to the large window behind Stubbs, which gave a good reflection of the room behind me, and we both waited in silence until Mike and Kathy left the diner. A minute later, Rita appeared at our table with our pies and drinks. After she left, Stubbs said, So, you had a rough time with a client? I had already texted him the basics, but I was eager to fill him in on the rest. Stubbs sat mouth agape through most of my story. Her kid's really gonna die next week, Mads? I nodded, picking at the pie with my fork. I tried to get her to listen to me, but she thinks I'm a fake. Stubby shook his head. If people don't think you can do what you do, then why do they go to see you? I have no clue, I said moodily. So what are you going to do? Stubbs asked next. His question stumped me. Do? What do you mean? Well, if this kid isn't sick or anything, then shouldn't we do something to try and save him? I sighed. I hated knowing how close people were to losing a loved one, especially a young loved one. But I'd told Mrs. Tybalt about her son's death date, and it hadn't changed anything. Those numbers had remained stubbornly fixed. Stubbs, there's nothing I can do. I tried everything to get her to listen to me, and I checked the photo a couple of times. Her kid's date didn't change. Stubby was quiet for a moment, and then he said, Can the numbers change, Maddie? I don't know. I only know that I've never seen them change. Not even once. So you think they're fixed, Stubbs said. I pressed my lips together and stared hard at the table. Maybe. I honestly can't be sure. Sometimes I'll Google a client whose date has passed and I'll find an obit with the exact date I predicted. Warning people has never bought them more time. Stubby sighed and rolled his skateboard back and forth under the table like he always did when he was deep in thought. I knew he was trying to think up a solution. He was one of the best problem solvers I'd ever met. Stubby truly believed there wasn't anything in life or in the classroom that couldn't be solved with a little thought, effort, and time. At last, he said, If there's even a small chance that the date can change, Mads, don't you think we should try to save that kid? How? I asked. Stubby pulled out his smartphone and began to tap at it. After a minute, his face lit up and he showed me the screen. It was a directory listing for a Patricia Tybalt. I noticed she did live in Parkwick. Caller, Stubbs said. And when I hesitated, he added, You gotta try, Mads. It's her kid. Before I could even agree, Stubby had gone back to tapping at the screen, and then he was shoving the phone at me, urging me to take it. I saw that he'd dialed the Tybalts, and then I heard her voice echoing out from the phone. Hello? She said. 
Hello? Hello? Reluctantly, I took the phone. Mrs. Tybalt? I asked, my voice shaking. Who's this? I took a deep breath. It's Maddie Finn. When she didn't respond, I added, You came to see me today? I know who you are, she said, her voice like ice. I looked at Stubby as if to beg him to let me hang up, but he nodded and waved his hand to encourage me. Listen, I said, I... It's... I want you to know I'm not a fake. Your son... Stop, she hissed, cutting me off. Just stop it. If you call here again, I will notify the police. Leave me and my son alone. Do you hear me? Do you? Her rising anger tumbled out of the phone, and by the way that Stubby was now looking at me, I knew he'd heard what she said. Beginning to panic, I tapped the end button and cut off the call. By mentioning the police, Mrs. Tybalt had awakened my greatest fear. Three years before, Ma was arrested for her second DUI. I'd been 13 at the time, and I freaked out when Ma didn't come home and I couldn't get a hold of Uncle Donnie. I'd called 911, and before I knew it, Child Protective Services was on our front porch. If it hadn't been for Uncle Donnie, Ma would have ended up in jail, and I would have ended up in foster care. Since then, Ma's become super anxious about anybody getting too curious about what goes on at our house. She doesn't go outside if she can avoid it, and she never waves to the neighbors. Ma won't even answer the door for sweet Mrs. Duncan, who used to bring over cookies and baked goods all the time. Stubbs eyed me with such sympathy that it was hard not to look away. He knew exactly what I was thinking. At last, he reached out and nudged my arm. Hey, he said. You did what you could, Mads. And who knows, maybe Miss Tybalt will think about what you said. And just to be on the safe side, next week she'll keep her kid home from school. Or take him to the doctor and get him checked out, and his date will change. You think? I asked hopefully. Stubby nodded. It's what my mom would do. I felt the tension in my shoulders ease a bit, even though I doubted Mrs. Tybalt could prevent Tevin's death. Still, I clung to the small ray of hope that Stubbs had given me. Thanks, I told him. He nodded, but I noticed as I began to nibble at my pie that his gaze became distant, and that skateboard started rolling under the table again. Later, after I got back home, I found three new bottles of cheap vodka on the counter, and another one half empty. Ma was on the couch, droopy-eyed and slurring. She'd also been crying. When I helped her to her feet, something dropped from her lap and fluttered to the floor. I knew what it was the second I saw the flash of green construction paper. It was the drawing I'd made in kindergarten, the one of me, Ma, and Dad with our numbers drawn over our foreheads. I bit my lip. The sting of seeing Ma with it opened up old wounds. It was well-worn and tear-stained, but all these years later, Ma refused to throw it away. She'd traced her fingers over Dad's numbers so many times that she'd nearly worn a hole in the paper. After she'd snatched the paper off the floor, Ma tried to tuck it into her shirt. I can make it up to bed myself, Maddie, she slurred, her face turned away from me. I swallowed hard. Okay, I said finally, letting go. I watched her wobble up the stairs without saying a word. I couldn't move against the guilt or the shame of the moment. Before he died, my grandpa Finn had asked me to look after Ma. Her drinking had become noticeable by then. He told me she was trying to cope with the loss of my dad. Even though it wasn't her fault, she still blames herself, he'd said. I understood fully what Gramps was trying to tell me, but I knew different. I'd seen the truth in her eyes every time I caught her with that stick figure drawing. Ma didn't blame herself for Dad's death. She blamed me. She drank, not because she felt guilty about surviving or being unable to prevent Dad's murder, but because she didn't want to be the kind of mother who blamed her kid for it. 
And truthfully, how could she not blame me? It's my gift. Shouldn't I have known all along what the numbers meant? Shouldn't I have warned my dad? I think that's the real reason she wanted me to read for clients. It's my penance. So I never say no to a reading. I look those strangers in the eye because I have no choice but to look them in the eye and deliver them their mortality. And after every reading, Ma hits the bottle hard because I know she understands how difficult it is for me. And yet she's never told me I could stop. She simply continues to pretend that I'm doing a good thing. And I continue to pretend that it doesn't bother me. The truth is, it's killing us both. It was a while before I headed upstairs and into my room. After closing the door, I went to my desk and pulled out my notebook of dates and opened it. I couldn't explain why writing them down had always comforted me, but it did. Maybe it was simply the act of getting them out of my head and onto paper that helped me deal. Or maybe it was the sense of structure and order it lent to the otherwise random quality of death. Whatever it was, it allowed me to cope. Turning to a fresh page, I reached for a pen and wrote out Mrs. Tybalt's name, recorded her death date, and added her three kids. It wasn't hard to remember them. All I had to do was close my eyes and recall her face in the photos. The numbers always came up in my mind's eye as easily as recalling their hair color or Tevin's lopsided grin. Once I'd recorded the names, I stared hard at Tevin's death date and thought about Mrs. Tybalt's harsh words to me on the phone and felt a shudder of foreboding travel up my spine. I hoped she didn't call the police on me and Ma, and I hoped even more that she watched out for her son a week from now. Still, it all felt so futile. I couldn't save Tevin any more than I could bring back my dad. I couldn't save anyone. To take myself out of the melancholy, I flipped to a well-worn page in the middle of the notebook. Midway down was the name Aiden. No last name. I didn't know it. But seeing his name written there with such care made me feel closer to him. Aiden was a boy I'd first glimpsed my freshman year as I was sitting in the stands at a football game. There had been no good seats on our team side, so Stubby and I had gone over to the rival team's bleachers and found a good spot in the front row. Aiden had walked right past me on his way to the concession stand, and I'd felt all the breath leave my body. I couldn't believe someone so beautiful had been near enough to touch. I'd never spoken to him, and I'd only seen him a handful of times each year when his high school played against mine. But each time I felt inexplicably drawn to him. It was as if I knew him. As if I'd always known him. I went to his page in my notebook often. It made me feel better. I liked to tell myself that someday I'd work up the courage to talk to him. Maybe this year, I whispered. With a sigh, I shut the notebook, tucking it away in the drawer of my nightstand before getting ready for bed. As I drifted off to sleep, I made peace with myself about Mrs. Tybalt and her son, telling myself that I'd tried my best with her. There was nothing more I could do. And that's the end of the chapter. Are you guys excited? I'm very excited. <laughs> this is fantastic. I know I've already sung its praises, but it is such a good book and I really, really love it. You guys are in for a treat. I'm so excited. Alrighty, but that's the end of the chapter. Uh, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a chapter. Bye. <laughs> Stay tuned for bloopers if we have any. Hello everybody, welcome back to chapter two. Oh, I can't hear anything. Let me unmute that and see if that fixes it. Reset. Can I hear myself now? Does that work? Am I talking? Ah, I can hear myself talking. All right, reset. He's such a sweetie. He's so cute. We love stubs. Oh, sweetie.
All right, reset, definitely reset. <laughs> Stubby's real name is Arnold Schroeder, July 16th, 2094. Ar Arnold Schroeder, Arnold Schroeder. That is gonna be hard. Uh, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, August. It's August, all right. Obit with this, Obit. Oh, like obituary. Oh, okay, let me retry that one. 